and welcome to Seize the GM. If you're looking to get started GMing, we're here to help. And if you're a GM with a few levels under your experience belt, we are here to help you find your prestige class. Let us take you through some common questions, concerns, and the fun challenges that every GM will face. We have our ideas, our opinions, and some might even say answers that we want to share. So pull up a chair, dust off your dice, and let us help you seize the GM. And welcome back to another episode of CSIJM. It's good to hear from you, or perhaps more accurately, it's good for you to hear from us. Yes. Or hey. both. Why can't it be both? Cardamoche! Moshe is back. He made it back. Uh, I escaped okay. the clutches of an evil overlord and have returned. Okay. No, no, so no, 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 no. You were the evil overlord. We all know that. Either that or you're the vizier to the evil overlord. So that way you're the doing from the back. Come on. There's absolutely no proof or evidence of any of these baseless allegations. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. okay, so I'm going to ask, since we knew that you went to s- go do something, so how was Rent? It was fantastic. A live theater is something that stirs my soul, and getting to return to live theater, not just generally, but to see the 25th anniversary touring show of Rent was uh, spectacular, and there's just something about live theater that hits differently. Yeah. Oh, God, well, yeah. That's cool. I'm glad you got to go see it. Yeah, it's it, uh, you're going to have to tell us and, and maybe answer some questions if any of our listeners have any questions about cool things about live theater and things you might be able to pick up, reach out. And it's not yeah. just like everything we do always might have a minor possible influence in, in uh, being a GM. Nudge, oh, nudge. Yeah. Look, Rent is based off La Boheme. It is a reskinning of a classic opera in a wholly different way of kind of understanding and projecting that loss of power, that loss of control, that that shifting sensibilities that occurs. And it even does it with wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the audience in there. Look at the reference to Musetta's Waltz. It is a perfect example of how you take inspiration and even without changing too many things, create a wholly different product. It is a, a perfect idea of how one can uh, take one of your favorite stories and turn it into a gaming opportunity. Oh, yeah. And uh, I may have used this as the basis for a couple of games in the past. Well, wait. (laughs) The thing is, like, and that's not the only one to do it because you have Romeo and Juliet, and then you have West Side Story. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's like, it's, it's not, you know, Rent is brilliant and fun and unique. But it's not the only musical to have done the, no, 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 we're stealing this. Well, and then there's the best Romeo and Juliet of them all, which was Baz Luhrmann's. But that is a whole other conversation. (laughs) Okay, it is. What are we talking about tonight? Tonight, we're going to dive into a topic that kind of flirts around the edges of game design and GMing, and that is tropes versus cliches. What's the difference? How to identify them and how to use which one or the other? I think there's a right answer and wrong answer here, but we will get into that as we continue. There are no wrong answers. If it's fun, it's not wrong. That is true. But there are wrong answers, but uh, we'll go into wrong answers possibly in a future episode. Sure. All right. So what do we got? What's a trope? 
A trope is defined as word or word of expression used in a figurative sense. In gaming, uh, we usually kind of refer to that as a shortcut evoking uh, story beats, kind of a language of symbology of semiotics. Uh, by contrast, a cliche is defined as a hackneyed or trite theme, characterization, or situation. Usually you will see this referred to in gaming circles when there is an overused symbology and is perceived as lazy design. So generally trope is neutral, maybe positive, while cliche is viewed as negative. And I generally support this character. I, indeed, indeed. But And the thing is, like, if you think about it, it's like tropes kind of – and I don't want to to it's like kind of almost kind of bubble up naturally as you know in in like kind of storytelling and putting something together, you know, the rule of three, the five man band, you know, um those kind of they're tropes. they're but the thing is like they're they're they've come up because of you know, almost like the zeitgeist and kind of like the the how our brains almost kind of think, where you have uh, you know, like cliche, stuff like that. it's. It, cliche, and then you'll, you know, kind of also can tie in also with stereotypes, aka the the planet of hats, where it's everything is the same, kind of a thing. Well, and yeah, yeah. One of the ways I kind of like to think about it is that a trope provides kind of a floor to build a story on, while a cliche becomes the entirety of the story itself. You know, a, a trope is, you know, like the five-man band you mentioned, it's one we recognize immediately, but there are a lot of variations and ways you can build on that. Mm -hmm. Conversely, the cliche of the uh, arrogant loner is a little overdone in some gaming and tends to not go anywhere other than being a grumpy loner who doesn't play well with others but is somehow still on the team instead of just being the rival and the 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 lancer uh, yes mm -hmm. but and if you think about it though is if you've got tropes a lot of them you can see you know and i'm going to bring up you know because a, a trope also if you think about it, it's like the from the the hero of a thousand faces the hero's journey so but the thing is like so you've got that goes everywhere from the freaking game journey which is phenomenal by the way um uh, or and you got like Star Wars. I mean, that's a quintessential. The thing is, like, it's you know, it's kind of like a theme. It's a kind of like like the, as you said, the story beats, but the stories themselves are are in and of themselves unique. You know, it's like it follows that same thing, but that's it's like no one else has a story like Star Wars. No one else has a you know. It's like yeah, they follow kind of like the same thing, but it's within the details and the meat of that story that. You know, as as you said, it's the skeleton. You know, it's like, you know, this is yeah. the what well, you're doing yeah, in a trope, trope is the makeup. Is, yeah, the trope is is the is the framework, and the as as he had said, as Gardemashi had said, the the floor that everything else is built on. Yeah, where the cliche is the alpha and the omega, and that is it. Well, and I, I think it's important to realize why you end up with them. Is that they are shortcuts. And shortcuts can be good or can be bad. And they let you communicate a lot with minimal effort. Um, like I said earlier, symbology and semiotics kind of come into play here. And so you create that shorthand and that expectation through using these kind of tropes. Think about all of the sitcoms you've watched. 
there's some kind of common beats and common character types that show up. Those are tropes of our modern culture in those sitcoms. Now, the biggest way to tell your difference between a trope and a cliche for me, I mentioned the descriptive kind of way of doing that. Yeah. Is it the floor or is it the entirety? But can you subvert or interrogate this stereotype? If you can, it's a trope. If you are able to take what you're putting down and use it as a starting place for examining, you know, or- tight-knit, distrustful, and gruff dwarves, well, maybe there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Or if- the other thing is, is as you did also say, is the subverting of expectations, too. It, and yep. we, there's, the, there's the trope, and it's big time in anime. And um, I, I was made aware of this by uh, another podcast I listened to, but it like the whole, okay, the big tournament arc. Now in the My Hero Academia, usually it's like, okay, you have your protagonist and their rivals. Like one, no, the protagonist is knocked out in the third round. And it's just like, oh, you know, the, the you know, it's like, and the, the rivals being an asshole and they are, and he's fighting against the protagonist's love interest as at the point. And he beats her, but everyone's like, oh, you're beating up on a girl. He's like, what do you mean you're beating up on a weak girl? And he says, is like, what about her was weak? So it's a, it's a way to kind of take that. What do you, you know, your players are expecting these beats and then you pull a twist, but it's not breaking you know it's not breaking the the reality but it it's kind of like i oh i didn't expect that it's it's like the in uh titan ae it's like wow a smart guard i wasn't expecting that yeah yeah that's the that's some of the best part but the the one thing you do I, i guess you do have to realize also is your tropes can they can they can kind of like slide into each other it's kind of uh, what do you call it? Uh, um, you know, it, it's it. There's a risk uh, of turning your your uh, a trope and having it become a cliche. I mean, so I be Gardemanche. It's like I I know that you are you are much more adept at kind of expressing this. Is like how how do you make sure that you don't do that rather than just saying okay, keep looking at it. You know, mm. are there kind of like thingies you ought to look out for? There always are, and it comes down to where your effort goes. If there's a reason for what you're presenting, you've probably got a trope. If you're just throwing it out there to throw it out there and there's no reason, it's probably a cliche. And the idea isn't that a a trope won't reflect the same imagery or iconography as a cliche, but it's where it leads. And so it's okay to use shortcuts, but if you never do anything with them, they that's when they stagnate. That's when they kind of regress from a trope to cliche if they started someplace and went elsewhere. Uh, in fantasy, using a lot of fantasy examples because it's a highly iconic kind of world – if your elves are otherworldly and live in the forest and have bows, great. Okay. That's our short form trope of, of fantasy elf. Mm-hmm. But if there's never anything more, if there's never any conflict, if there's never any growth, if it's. If they're all just living there happy and there's no arguments, it's like, I just want to go into town. 
And even if they're, <laughs> you know, never anything more than that stereotype, that slides towards cliche. But if you start yeah. with that stereotype, and then there's a reason they separated themselves from the rest of the species. If there's a reason they are perhaps in this world, like dryads, tied to the forest and can't believe it, you begin to slide from that stereotype towards a trope. And using the woodland forest elf as a trope that you can build from. Or perhaps they exist as nothing but a, a concept. Perhaps all of them you've seen are false, are lies, are illusions. Perhaps elves are actually subterranean illusion casting liars and rogues. And they have done this to fool everyone for a few centuries. And their you know, completely sun, sunless, pale white skin is something that people don't see. Okay, now I'm, now I'm kind of wanting to do that. <laughs> this is one of the other reasons is like, I, I love doing this. Because not only not only do we get some like really good things that our brains can kind of think and and chew on for a little, we also get inspired for stuff that, oh hey, you know what? I like that. I want to use it. And you know that's that is the the quintessential reason why we do this. So, oh you yeah. know, if any, it's and and you know, Gardemanger being a like he is a he is a much more bigger theater nerd. I did pit, so you know, it's like mine's only coming from like the 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 recess area in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> See, and I don't come from any of this. I just come from r playing and running lots and lots of games. <laughs> but that's, you know, so we have this this concept of of kind of a trope versus a cliche. And it's not really a fight because you can use both of them to do very specific things in your game. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to make a a very not you're not worried about the the narrative structure and you're just trying to like get some basic ideas out you can use clichés. And cliches exist for a very simple reason, because people know them, whether they're good or bad. And if you use those, you can go back and take a cliche and make it into a trope. It's that whole kind of subverting expectations of things, you know? Right. So if you use that cliche, you can make it into a trope by just changing it a little bit and then it isn't the cliche it's a trope and you you know it's kind of that you know which came first the you know the trope or the cliche well that's why i like to kind of describe them as both starting from stereotypes and then which way they move goes on on how you use them yeah and, and they're shortcuts you know i mean some of them are kind of frustrating and annoying but think about how many like i said sitcoms that you've seen where there's a bumbling husband and an overworked but witty wife. And the asshole mother-in-law, you know. You see, these are, yeah. Yeah, these are our shorthands for the stories we tell. They are you know, not 
full archetypes, but they verge on it, and that's how you have to think about using them. If they do nothing but uh, passively kind of exist, the odds are you're veering towards cliche. If they're active in your world, the odds are they're more likely a trope that you were using for your story. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And here's the thing is like the, the one thing is like using tropes versus the cliches. Cliches, honestly, after, uh, you know, it, it's, it gets boring, you know, it, and now if you have a guy that is trying to kind of embody that cliche kind of a thing is like, okay, you know, that can, that can be worked. That can have a little bit of you know, subversion, a little bit of fun. It's dynamic. But if it's, you know, as the big thing is like, as you brought before, it's the laziness kind of a thing. So it, it's something, you know, it, it's not a horrible, horrible idea. Okay. It's like, okay, taking an idea of a cliche and using that as a kind of like, um, you know, as at least a at back of lack of a better term, a crutch kind of using some of those personality traits, using it, you know, if you're not fully mentally able to, to fully give it, it's okay. But the thing is like, you can't let it stay that way. It's like, the idea of a crutch it's supposed to help you until you are healed same kind of thing yeah so it's it's the the thing is like and um one thing actually i was i was kind of thinking about uh especially is like you know that when and, and you all all of us have have read modules and you know uh, you know, some of them are just like, okay, this is just really boring. It's and for me, it's like, okay, the 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 story beats, the 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 enemies, they're very cliche. Although, if you're, um, but then there's a game that I was running in, and uh, it, it, the, the GM pretty much pulled. All right, this is a dungeon with a dragon, and it was hilarious because it was just like, okay, we know all of these one things. Like, what do you come across? A poorly locked chest, and a lot of it was played for giggles. Yeah. So, so that's the one thing is like with uh, with a lot of cliches, those things is like if especially if they're like you know from the serious bend or or something, if you turn that, those could be used for amazing comedic effect. You know, it's like. Well, I was going to say you could actually use a lot of cliche to play the breaking the fourth wall in games where every, you know, as long as everybody's on board, like, okay, we are going to just like play to every cliche and stereotype, and it's going to be very fourth wall. We know what this is, and we want people to know what this is, like. You can do it. And that's okay, especially if you're doing it in that regard. Now, if that's you're doing it and you don't realize that you're doing it, but you're doing all of those things, I wouldn't say you're doing it wrong because if you're having fun, that's really all that matters. This is one of the, this topic is a little more, I don't want to say highbrow, but it's more theory in game design than some of the other things that we've done. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with it. If you want to, you know, because you probably do, if, if you're running a game, you probably already do use tropes and cliches. You just don't realize that's what they are because they're kind of ingrained in a, the games that we run and B, in the culture that or 
surrounds games. So those all kind of, you're using them, whether you realize it or not, more than likely. And if you just pay a little bit of attention, you can actually figure out which ones are the tropes and which ones are the cliches and which one you want to use more of. Because, like I said, you can totally do a game that is just ridiculous and and over-the-top and full of cliches if everybody's on board to play that kind of a game. And if you make it very fourth-wall-breaking... I mean, basically, you can do this. It's great to do with superheroes because if you do something like a... uh, Deadpool type of character. I mean, he literally breaks the fourth wall and he just starts talking to the audience. Yeah, because... She-Hulk did that too. Yeah, I was going to say, exactly. Shulky did it much better, but that's a whole other right. story. Right, but I'm just saying, it can be done and it can be done well. And mm-hmm. I think that's something we can come back to is looking at tropes and cliches in different genres and yeah. how we would use them. And actually, what I would love to hear from our listeners are examples of tropes or cliches that they run across in various genres and that they think would be uh, worth us discussing. You can find us on the social medias. You know the whole plug. You can find us on the Facebooks, the Twitters, Instagram. Uh, did farmers only? No farmers only. Sea captains only? Yar. Maybe. I might uh, do that. Our Discord, Patreon. <laughs> so you find us on one of those places and tell us one of these tropes or cliches you've run into or a genre that you'd like to see us kind of discuss in more detail. Definitely. So for those who have been listening, this is the first time where we get to say this, but we have acquired a sponsor for the show. Now, you guys will have heard two of the ads already. This will be the third one. Um, but I just wanted to say patrons don't receive the ads. If you're listening everywhere else, you will get one ad that's about 30 seconds. So <laughs> that is where we're going to plug that in right here. This episode has been sponsored by Tabletop.land. Not sure if you want to get into making all your own full terrain sets or scatter pieces? Hmm. Not sure you want to get into that 3D printing thing that everybody's doing for your own stuff or maybe minis for that matter even. Well, there is a new web shop that is up and coming called Tabletop.land. Go check it out and see if there's anything that tickles your fancy. Or, given the time of year it is, maybe you could even pick up something for that GM of yours for Christmas. Okay, so let's go ahead and roll on into our next subject. System-neutral pieces that can be worked into an ongoing game or inspiration for your next big game event. Okay. I got nothing. <laughs> Three, two, one, not it. Well, 
then I guess I will have to tell you a little bit about the belt of Akiatoral. It is said that the belt has the finest of inlays with nearly a wasted erg of effort, that it is made of perfectly oiled and maintained leather of a creature not found on this world anymore, that, that it has a charm about it that none can deny. Though no one can really say who it, it has or has not fit, the truth is less than important if the belt itself works. According to legend, the belt of Akiatoro provides the wearer the chance to be the truest and best version of themselves. They are manifest perfection. That's how the story goes, at least. This is true to some degree, but like all stories and legends, it is also untrue to some degree. Akiatoro was not a magical caster of any type, but was a, uh, let's say, a gentleman adventurer. The enchantment woven into the belt is from a bemused celestial. Akiatoro was where he really shouldn't be. Really should not be. This is what happened when he was discovered. Rather than harm or penalize Akiatoro, the playful celestial decided to make a game of it all. Akiatoro found himself wearing this belt. But Akiatoro was no longer what he was. Well, he was still Akiatoro. He looked the same, his memory stayed the same, and he was most definitely now a gentleman. The adventurer part was much less there. Uh, he, he was truly a gentleman, and in fact found himself the title and income, and was everything he ever said he was, and nothing more. Oh, damn. That's nice. Oh, that's brilliant, dude. Slick. Slick, slick, slick. Indeed. And nothing more. (laughs) It's just like how you deliver that last line, kind of just like, okay, I'm a little scared. I'm going to run now. (laughs) Ah, but... You can't run yet, Jules. What do you have? Uh, We've heard it for weeks. Instructions over the broadcast, directing crew to parts of the ship that have fallen into disrepair. Sometimes the broadcast clipped out or hissed with static and interference, but provided information well enough. Seems we fell out of hyperspace early after the arc collided with an unidentified object. The structural integrity of the ship was tenuous at best. So a bunch of automated protocols activated so that work could be so that work could begin to make the ship spaceworthy. Following the automated standard emergency protocol, the engineering team was the first to be brought out of cryostasis. The broadcast the broadcast system in a broken, tinny voice provided the sit rep. Then repair work began in earnest. Due to the need for manpower and the omnipresent risk to the power systems, it was necessary to bring other groups out of cryostasis. The groups are selected based on an automated algorithm that evaluates each individual's usefulness, resource-slash-power cost, and viability. Cryostasis pods that were deemed non-functional or that contained individuals who couldn't withstand the emergency revivification process were canalized for parts and their contents were unceremoniously jettisoned into space. 
Vital systems like life support, power, propulsion, defense, and shielding and navigation were prioritized. Then work began on the lesser systems. Artificial gravity, sanitation, and fabrication took some time, but eventually were brought fully online. And then work began on communication. We were able to restore functionality to the subspace array. Then work began on the internal communication systems. It was then we discovered that the internal communication network used a combination of subvocal pickups and subdermal bone conduction. No shipwide communication systems are installed on the art class ships. There's no need, since the entire ship's complement would be in cryo sleep during the voyage. And ever since, we have lived in terror, dreading the next broadcast announcement. Nice. Cool. I am glad that you enjoyed that. Yeah. Ah, oh, thanks. Ah. <laughs> uh, cool. Zen, we are going to miss you because uh, I'll be honest, I, I like yours and Gardemelje sap blocks a lot. So it is kind of sad we're going to miss yours, but I look forward to. It's okay. We'll just make the them next double ones. up at some Yeah, we'll make them double up at some point in the future. <laughs> You know what? I might actually do that because um, part of the thing that I'm going to be working on while we take our month off is I'm going to go back through 136 episodes and pull every single stat block that we have done. Not bunnies. And then we're going to start looking at them to potentially produce longer versions of the stat blocks at some point. Hopefully. Together and uh, grow out into possibly a PDF. We'll see. But, yeah, that is something that I'm going to start working on here very soon. But before I do that... I think it's time to go to our lexicon. An uncommon word that helps improve your descriptions with a bit of information about those words as well. Okay. Are we ready? Whenever you are. Yes. Shibboleth. Faith. Mr. President is the true shibboleth. Very good. Okay. So, <laughs> season two, episode eight, Shibboleth, the West Wing. It Jin is. Figures. Jin way to President Bartlett. Uh, this is also the episode where he gives the knife to Charlie, so you remember it if you've seen the episode. Uh, no. Okay. So, this word is a noun. And. There are, um, let's see, one, two, three, four, well, one with three variations, two with two variations. So yeah, we've got a a few different uh, definitions. So 1A, a word or saying used in adherent of a party, sect, or belief, and usually regarded by others as empty of real meaning. B is a widely held belief. And C is a truism or platitude. 
Uh, let's see. 2A is a use of language regarded as distinctive of a particular group. And B is a custom or usage regarded as distinguishing one group from another. So. <laughs> yeah. Yes, a password to signify membership in an in-group is another way it is so often used these days. Yeah. So the the history and etymology of this bad boy, um, it is Hebrew. Um, I'm not even going to attempt to mispronounce this one, but it basically means stream. And Ooh. it's the use of this word was actually found in Judges 12.6 as a test to distinguish... Uh, Galadites from Ephraimites? Close Ephraimites? Enough. Yeah, close enough. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do uh, that book. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, you should also think of um, Handmaid's Tale for one of those names. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Gilead. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It, it was. It was. There's a whole. There, there. There's a whole thing about shibboleth and and just kind of. Um, the out group would mispronounce it. It is. Uh, they would did not know how to properly say it, and so it's kind of. If you're in, say, New Orleans. There are certain bodies of water around you that you may ask someone to pronounce just to see how they do it, because that'll tell you if they're local if they're from or, there not. or not. Yeah. This also <laughs> is done by my family in the Northeast. Yeah. They have a lot more K's in their locations <laughs> than I do around here. Uh, but it's a good word. Yeah. So the first known use of... This was in 1638. Outside of, you know, judges. Yes. Yeah, but as being used as a word, as a word or saying used and adherent to a party sect or belief, that's when it was first used in that regard in 1638. So. Uh, and the lookup popularity is in the top 2% of words. This so. does not surprise me. Yeah. Mm. It's one of those weird words is like once you kind of have it, it's it's one of those like, oh yeah, this is a good word. Yeah. It sounds so weird. Yes. And all my other West Wing fans know exactly what episode this came up in. And they know the exact scenes that happened around the scene where this is mentioned. And so I want them to also join me on social media and tell Zen he needs to see this. <laughs> I, I need to watch so many things right now. I don't even want to think about it. My wife would has got so many like series and things that are just like sitting there that I have to finish. I haven't even finished season two of The Boys yet. Um, you might want to. It, it yeah, exactly see it gets better that. the more they edit the original material. And I've got season three. Of 
uh, what's uh, Doom Patrol, and many, many more. I don't even want to think about how many different things I've got. Which we will get into much more in future episodes. Cross your fingers. Right. All right. So, closing remarks. You go first. Okay. (laughs) So, in what little bit of free time that I've had lately, um, I picked up the Skyrim 10th Anniversary Edition, which... I have gotten every version of Skyrim since it came out. I've got all the DLCs, and I've had them for like, it's shortly after they came out, I've gotten almost all of it. And I started playing this one. I started a whole new character, and it feels like the original game, like when it first came out, like there was so many new cool things to do that weren't included in the original game, like all the new stuff that's added to this. There's like all these crazy new storylines that you can do, locations that didn't exist before, like it's cool. So if you have the like special edition of Skyrim, I think right now most places you can get the upgrade to the anniversary edition for like 20 bucks. So if you and and most people that play video games already have Skyrim in some capacity, but if you have the you know like the game of the year edition or whatever it is, um the this anniversary edition is only $20 to get all of these extra things that they've added. So you should definitely check it out. It's a lot of fun. Um, I'm I'm back to playing Skyrim whenever I have a chance to. So sweet. It, it Skyrim is is a lot of fun, and I'll be honest, some of the music just they got for it is is great. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So what have you got? Um, actually, no, that's what it is. It's a it's a YouTube show called Um Actually where the host and three contestants and uh, the host pretty much reads a statement about something in nerdy culture. And the three contestants have to pick out what is wrong about that statement. And it is, it's not just like, okay, like really big. It it can be extremely pedantic and it's hilarious. And it's always, you know, they, they've got like, you know, goofy kinds of, you know, they have like uh, shiny questions. It's like, they're like shiny Pokemon. They don't really give you anything new, but they don't come up as often. But the thing is, like, any time that you are you are ringing to to say, it's like, oh, this is what's wrong. You have to go, um, actually, kind of a thing. And I have not. It, it's like Jeopardy for nerds being pedantic. And I have, I've, I've binge watched. Zip turned me onto this show, and I have not stopped watching since. Oh, that's fun. It's good. That's fun. Mm-hmm. All right, Gordon Moshe, what have you got? Well, uh, since I'm, I'm have never played any of Skyrim at all. I have instead spent my time online doing things like delving deep through tvtropes.com. Leaning into our theme for the episode today, like a good podcaster, (laughs) I am sending you to an online wiki collecting and naming tropes that tell stories across media with examples of them in engaging and frankly exhaustive lists. It is 
absolutely fantastic and fun. And if you haven't thought about this kind of storytelling shorthand before, you're going to see how the same trope appears in multiple stories and multiple media. Uh, beware, you could lose hours, if not days, of your life there when you first start going through it. Nice. Yeah, I think you've yeah. mentioned this before. I've, I, I, I go there just randomly just because – and there's like – you know, like terms like fridging or lampshade, stuff like that. It's hilarious because you're like, oh, that's how it came about. You're like, geez, it's great. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, folks, I think we're going to go ahead and call this a wrap. So until next time. Roll some dice. Play some games. And have lots and lots of fun. <laughs> we know where you are. We'll find you. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for checking in. It was a blast sharing our thoughts and ideas on our time. We hope that you had a great time with us and could hardly wait to share the next show. In the meantime... Let us know how you handle this topic in your own games. You can find us on most social media platforms, especially Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to follow us, search for Seize the GM. And if you just want to follow one of us, search for our names on the social media platform of your choice, or go to SeizeTheGM.com for convenient links. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, 4.0 international license. All copyrighted material referenced herein are held by the respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is Once again, thanks to you, our listeners. We hope you've gained some ideas for your ongoing games. Or the inspiration to run your first now get out there and play some games. Roll some dice. Be safe, and you'll hear from us again soon.